Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. Welcome today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. Our theme today is contending for deep rest in a world of unrest. Contending for deep rest in a world of unrest. Now, people are living with a lot of unrest in these days, overwhelmed, a sense of dread of what's going on around them. I mean, just look at the headlines in any news media or social media, uh, and it's alarming. Uh, many of the people that we're leading are, are struggling with disorientation and lots of fears. The ground seems to be shaking beneath our feet. Nations, economies, ups and downs. Uh, and our bodies, as a result, are filled with lots of anxiety. And we feel the pressure and leadership of people around us living in such a place and state of unrest. We feel ourselves and the people around us, much like it was in Habakkuk, Habakkuk's time, 586, uh, 587 BC, when uh, he was sitting there uh, in Israel looking at the enormous, powerful nation of Babylon about to invade and crush the country. And uh, God says to him, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to be doing something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I'm raising up Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people. And so I, I point out that text in Habakkuk because our world of unrest is not new. In fact, when I was uh, in graduate school, I took a course with the world scholar, a world historian in the Greco-Roman world uh, of the uh, times of Christ, two centuries before Jesus and two centuries after Jesus. And if anything was marked by unrest, it was sure uh, those several hundred years. And emperors of Rome were coming and going. After Julius Caesar, there was Augustus, who was actually considered himself a god. So imagine, he's divine, receiving worship, glory, and honor. You had Tiberius and then Caligula, who was insane. You had Nero, the next emperor, who was killing close members of his own family, sexually perverse. And then moving on to people like Domitian, etc. And so that was just what was going on politically in that time of Jesus and Paul. You had also other religions and cults that were springing up left and right. You had an educational system that was uh, filled with uh, lots of messes. You had injustice, slavery, uh, morals that were so far from scripture and sinking, whether it was economics uh, or entertainment, uh, wars, everything seemed to be haywire and in a state of unrest. Yet that's the world in which Jesus lived and preached and the world in which Paul wrote his letters. Uh, and so the question is for us, how do we contend? How do we move into, how do we live in a place of deep rest in a world of such unrest? And that's really our greatest gift that we can give uh, those around us. Uh, in a sense, I didn't want to use the word fighting for deep rest or struggling for deep rest, although that is true. Contending is a bit softer, but it's got that sense of uh, it, it, it's, it's work. It's a labor. Uh, it actually takes a miracle. So I'm going to anchor this particular podcast in, in three things, at least for me, that have helped me in my own contending or struggle to live in a place of deep rest in a, in a world of unrest, uh, which doesn't, I don't think we can expect it to change. So you can't talk about deep rest unless we talk about this notion in scripture of biblical hope. 
Now, I got into hope uh, deeply uh, a couple of years ago in studying the book of Romans. It's a theme in Romans. It's actually a theme in all of Paul's letters uh, where he, he says things like, you know, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he says scriptures were written in chapter 15 that we might have hope. He says we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And he writes things like, since we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with steadfast patience. And he's, in, in chapter 12, he says, rejoice in hope. And so this theme of hope is over and over again in scripture. And he takes in chapter four, a, a long section and talks about fa Abraham, who's the father of us all. Six times he refers to Abraham as uh, the father of all of us of faith. And he says this against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. In fact, he writes that his body was as good as dead. He was about 100 years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead. But he did not waver through unbelief regarding God's promise. But he was strengthened in his faith, gave glory to God, and was fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And so even though Abraham had so many reasons not to believe, not to hope, uh, uh, he hoped in God's promise. He had this sense of certainty, regardless of human expectations and calculations. And, and so this took me in that book of Romans into a whole study on hope in the New Testament and Revelation, for example, that I actually read on my sabbatical, N.T. Wright's book, Surprised by Hope, uh, which I recommend to you at some point. And so it got me in this whole theme of hope. And I, and I realized, yeah, this, is, this issue of deep rest comes and emerges out of a place of deep hope. And so how do we live in this deep rest in a world of unrest? So I'm going to give you three things that at least have served me and continue to serve me uh, in staying anchored, at least contending to be in that place of deep rest, even while all these forces are coming uh, against me as well, just like they're coming against you. So the first I'm going to simply call number one is silence and scripture, silence uh, in scripture. This comes out of Habakkuk in particular. Uh, in chapter 2, as he's pondering the Babylonians are about to come and invade Israel, crush the nation, scatter them. Um, and Habakkuk says this in chapter 2 of that book. He says, I will stand at my watch and station myself at the ramparts. I will look to see what he, God, will say to me. And then a few verses later, he says, oh, the nations will exhaust themselves for nothing. He sees then and out of the silence. And then for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And so that's why the first, uh, I guess, way to move in, into this deep rest is something we're going to call simply silence. In scripture and in history of the church, uh, for deep rest, people went to the desert. And I've talked about that quite a bit, you know, in, in emotionally healthy uh, discipleship and in this podcast. I mean, from Moses spent 40 years in the desert uh, before he started his ministry. And Elijah lived in the desert for decades. And John the Baptist spent most of his life in the desert before he emerged out. And Paul spent three years in the Arabian desert. And Jesus moved back and forth. Uh, from activity to a desert place. And the same way we need to find our desert place with God uh, of silence. And so the desert fathers uh, from the third to fifth centuries picked up on this desert theme uh, 
and one such monk was Anthony, for example, the Great, uh, who in Egypt in the late 200s lived in solitude and silence outside his village for 20 years. And when he emerged, uh, people recognized in him such qualities, and I'm going to call the qualities of, of authentic, deep rest, that thousands sought him for counsel. In fact, one little story about his life that I find myself not just it's not just meaningful for me, but I've quoted often to leaders that I'm, I'm with, and it goes like this, that uh, Anthony, Abba Anthony, the Great, he received a letter from the emperor, Constantine, to visit him in Constantinople. He wondered if he should go. And so he asked another wise man, Abba Paul, if he should go. And here's the response he got. If you go to the emperor, you will be called Anthony. But if you stay here in the desert, you will be called Abba Anthony. And so uh, Anthony ultimately declined the invitation to go to Constantinople and minister to the king. Why? It would have pulled him away from that silent place with God that he had in the desert. He was called to grow up into an Abba, into a father of the faith uh, that would have an impact on thousands in, through history, even though he was living in, again, he was, he was pulling away from the crowds. Had he abandoned the desert and that silent place of loving union with God, um, he would never have grown into an Abba. Uh, and so in the same way, we've got to make these difficult choices to craft a place of silence, a, a space of a desert, a, a silence that we can let God get to us. And I, I, I love the image of the desert or a metaphor of the desert because it's, it's about finding a space. I'm not a literal desert for us, but I don't care if it's a library, a bedroom, a retreat center, a in my case, a chair facing the window, but it's positioning our lives, structuring our lives as best we can so that Jesus' presence and his will has access to deep places in our life so God can move us and lead us into a place of deep rest. That's no small task. Now, when we introduce uh, what we call you know, emotionally the spirituality and emotionally the relationships, the course to churches, the EH discipleship course, we're introducing people to a whole slow down lifestyle of being with Jesus. Uh, but it's actually just an introduction. And we introduce two minutes of silence each day that people are doing in their mid-morning and midday offices. And uh, But we're talking here about something much larger. To live in deep rest in a world of unrest requires contending. It requires struggle. It requires battling for that. And so we're really looking at, especially for those of us in leadership, a whole life change, not just a little tweaking, a minor adjustment in your lifestyle, maybe adding Sabbath. I'm talking about readjusting your life to build in silence and, of course, in Scripture so that the truth of God and, and God's realities can get deep into your being. And so for us, what has been key over these years, I'm talking about Jerry and myself, has been this ancient practice of developing a rule of life, which comes out of the Desert Fathers in the third, fourth, and fifth centuries. And, and learning from the riches of some of this monasticism into missional local churches in the 21st century of how do I get stripped of non-essentials so I can be silent and be with God in scripture. Uh, and so let me encourage you before I move on here to uh, check out uh, this link in the website, emotionallyhealthy.org slash rule, and a free download on how do you craft a rule of life for yourself and then for your team 
uh, and uh, it gives you some practical steps of how do you do that and some some uh, a great companion workbook. It's all free. And how do you craft it for yourself? Then how do you begin to do it for your whole team of those you lead? Uh, it's just a, it's a great free resource. So we've taken some time to develop it. Again, go to emotionallyhealthy.org/rule uh, because to get into this place of deep rest is going to require some radical shifts in the way that you're doing life day by day, monthly, quarterly, yearly. And a rule of life is a phenomenal way to get started. Romans 8 talks about that the whole world is waiting on tiptoe with expectation for the moment that the resurrection life of Jesus will sweep through all of the universe and fill it with the glory of God as waters cover the sea. You know, it says in Romans 8, uh, 19, for the creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That the whole universe, it's actually the, the image there of, it's like on tiptoe, uh, stretching of the neck, is, is, is craning forward to see what's the approaching, the glory of God coming to fill the universe, like a curtain being pulled back on a play. And Paul writes, we know the whole creation, the whole universe has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And it's an incredible image that the, the creation itself was, was affected by the fall of Adam and Eve in the very beginning. And that there's a connection of the suffering in the world going on, the labor pains we experience, and the anguish of the hidden forces of the universe. Things like black holes and collapsing stars and asteroids crashing into planets. That there's turmoil in the universe itself that's gonna end in a new heaven and a new earth. And that the very the death and resurrection of Jesus actually resonated into the vast recesses of the universe. I mean, look at Colossians 1. I mean, Colossians 1, 15 to 23, it's a great text. But the, in the end, the whole universe will be filled and flooded with the love of God, and God will be all in all. That's why we can trust that all things work together for good to those who have been called according to his purpose. That's the, and that, that we've got this certainty of our hope that it rests on God's eternal purpose, and all things are going to have a good ending. And everything that happens to us, uh, even the most difficult, will serve his will in the very end. No hardship, devil, sin, death, recession, powers and principalities. All hell may come against you, but God is for us. Uh, who can be against us? And, and nothing may seem stable in the world, yet we're promised a great future. We're going to reign with him. And we can be secure in it. We are secure in his love, that nothing will separate us from the love of God. And so we want to, number one, we're going to, we want to enter God's deep rest. We've got to begin with what the level and quantity of silence and scripture, space that we need so we can let God get us into our place of deep rest. Um, I've not seen anyone live in deep rest without a significant practice of silence and, of course, with scripture. So let's just take, before I go on to my point number two, we're going to take 30 seconds of silence before the Lord together. All right, so let me invite you, as long as you're not driving uh, or walking, just let's enter into silence before the Lord together for 30 seconds.
Okay, now the second point, not if we're gonna live in, if we're gonna contend for deep rest in a world of unrest, we've gotta also then secondly, this, uh, we've got to get perspective on suffering. So there's silence in scripture, number one, and then there's suffering, in particular getting perspective on suffering. Paul writes about thing, things like in Romans 8, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And uh, I hope you memorize Romans 5, 2 to 4, because Paul has this amazing text here where he says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. He boasts in it, in the hope of the glory of God. And uh, that one day I'm gonna, he writes, I'm gonna actually experience the very glory of God himself. And he goes, he writes, not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. That word for suffering is the word for uh, philipsis. It's extreme pressure tribulations of living in the world that's that's hostile to God. And so, I mean, who doesn't feel pressure on right now? And you feel it, the people you serve and you influence feel it. Paul says, we glory in our sufferings, the pressure, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And that word perseverance is the word for endurance or patience. And that perseverance produces character. It's the way I, I be, it's a word used there for gold refined in the fire. Uh, it's the word used from a veteran in uh, a war versus a raw recruit who hasn't gone in yet. Uh, so it's, we glory in our sufferings that suffering produces perseverance or patience, and then perseverance produces character, and then character, he says, hope. That is the certainty that our present has been transformed because of the future that's coming, and hope does not disappoint us. And he goes on about God's love being poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In other words, hope is this certainty. Not, it's not like, oh, tentative, and I want to be a little bit possibly good things are going to happen. No, hope is a certainty. And Paul says, hope does not disappoint us. And so if we're going to move through life as Paul did uh, in a deep rest, in a world of unrest, um, we want to get, we, we've got to interpret and see that the difficulties and pain and pressures that we're in, uh, and they continue to come to all of us, are actually gifts from God to form us from the inside out and actually teach us hope, or actually teach us and to lead us into a place of deep rest in God. You know, Paul writes in, in Romans 11, there's this amazing text, which I've been meditating on for a couple of years, where Paul writes, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Uh, you know, the immensity of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgment. How unfathomable are, are God's way, judgments. By judgments, he means what God thinks and what God decides. How unsearchable are his paths. They're beyond tracing out, writes Paul. In other words, what God does and where he's going, it's beyond us being able to trace. From our vantage point on earth, uh, in our short earthly lives and experience, we just can't see the paths of God. They're, they're so, f his purposes, his, uh, his actions in the world uh, are so much larger and vaster than our puny mind could ever take in. And that's when Paul says, you know, how unsearchable his judgment has paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? The utter impossibility of knowing God's mind, and we as finite fallen creatures, yes, we've got traces of Scripture and uh, of God reveals to us, but to um, to penetrate the thoughts and doings of God, 
and the specifics going on in history around us and in, our, in the nations in which you find yourself, it's just beyond us at this moment in history. So that's why Paul writes, for from him and through him and to him are all things. God's the source of all of life. He sustains all of life. He is the ruler and goal of all of life. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. And so Paul's got this perspective that just enables him to see his own sufferings and difficulties in a, such a, a different perspective. So, uh, so I mean, just, I don't know if you're following the, not just the Hubble, but now the James Webb tele- telescope, but they just continue to discover the vastness of the universe <clears throat> in such incredible ways. And I mean, scientists now believe that if you had unlimited vision, uh, you could hold a, a sewing needle at arm's length, at arm's length, toward the night sky, and you would see 10,000 galaxies in the eye of the needle. Move it an inch to the left, and you'd find 10,000 more. Same to the right, and no matter where you moved it, you'd see more galaxies. And they say now there's approximately a trillion galaxies out there, each galaxy having at least 100 to 200 billion stars. And the Earth is this little planet orbiting a a mid-rank star, the sun, in one galaxy out of trillions. It's very humbling, isn't it? And this, our God who spun off these trillions of galaxies, this God, our God, cares about what happens on our incredibly tiny planet called Earth. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to our planet, Earth. And the wonder of the incarnation that, at least as far as we know, of the trillions of galaxies, God chose to condescend and humble himself and to descend to be with us on this rebellious planet of all the billions in the universe. Think of what you were doing yesterday at this time. Whatever you were doing, you are 1.6 million miles away from where you are now. Listen, we're a floating ball of rock here on Earth. We're hurtling through space at 100, we're hurtling through space at 67,000 miles an hour. And even at that speed, it takes Earth a whole year to orbit the sun once. Listen, the nearest galaxy to us of these trillions of galaxies is 14 quintillion miles away or 23 quintillion kilometers. That's 2.5 million light years away. I mean, space is bigger than enormous. It's bigger than humongous. It's huge. It's vast. It's colossal. It's immense. And yet someone, God, someone infinite and intimate is calling you by name. And calling me by name. Oh, just ponder it. I have just so loved over the last couple of years diving into, as best I can understand it, which is very little, you know, cosmology and quantum physics and the immensity of the universe. And it's just incredible. And I see where Paul's writing about, oh, the depths of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, the immensity of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And it leads us to this place of deep rest. So can we do one more time? Can we take uh, 30 seconds again before I go to my point three? So we got silence and then we've got suffering and a perspective on suffering that God invites us into. So let's just take 30 seconds, one more time, one last, I'll do one more time at the end, of silence before the Lord.
All right, so now for my third and final point of how do we contend for deep rest in a world of unrest? So it's silence, it's uh, suffering, or perspective on suffering. And the third is stay at your post. Stay at your post. I want you to notice three S's, very rare for a podcast, but it just worked. And Habakkuk gets perspective in his book uh, through silence, scripture, and suffering. And he writes at the end of the book of Habakkuk, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. So he stays at his post as a prophet in silence, listening to God's word. Uh, And then he writes, though the fig tree does not bud, nor there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive tree fails and the fields produce no food and there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. In other words, even though everything's going bad here, at least externally on the surface from where I can sit, he finishes the book by saying, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. It's like, oh my goodness. He's in the middle of all this great suffering, uh, such a, a difficult time and moment of history, but I think of a deer, and I, when I watch a deer move through a forest, it's incredible. It's like the feet of a deer. They're just like, wow, they're just gliding uh, through earth. And like it, Habakkuk says, God makes my feet like the feet of a deer. I'm just gliding free. He makes me tread on the heights. What an image for us in the middle of a world of unrest that we could get into a place of that kind of movement and freedom, that our activity is coming from such a place of deep rest that our being gives deep rest to everybody around us. I know I want that for myself, and I trust you do as well. And so Revelation ends in chapters 19, 20, 21, and 22 with a sense that we will we will see God's face and we will reign with him forever and ever. There's a work we're going to do in heaven. But Moses could not see God's face and live, but we're going to actually see him face to face. His name will be on our foreheads. And we're going to somehow participate in the work of God. But And, and that's why it's a great phrase uh, that, um, I don't know if Bonhoeffer said it, but it's a th- good theology of the kingdom of God, which we live not for the future. We live from the certain future. We live from the future. In other words, the future is a certainty. That's our hope. It's a certainty. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to see him face to face. And we're going to, our, our work is just a glimpse of the bigger work we're going to do when we see him face to face for all eternity. We may not understand it, but there is a work for us to do in the universe with God as we're seated with him in the heavenly places. Uh, but we want to be at our post. We want to stay at our post. In other words, stay at what God has given you to do, even though it may seem like not much. Habakkuk sure didn't look like much. And Bonhoeffer wrote about the whole world was occupied by Nazi terror, but he said, I'm going to live my life as if there's a great future, because there is a great future, I'm going to be at my post. And for him, it was going back to Nazi Germany and working against Hitler's reign. So we don't run away from our what God's given us to do right now, and our families, and our, with our friends, and our leadership. We don't quit and run to Tarshish, I think of the book of Jonah. Uh, we don't participate in what's often called, uh, Eugene Peterson called ecclesiastical pornography, basically saying, I don't want to suffer. I don't want this difficulty in my life. I'm going to find some way to numb the pain. And we don't frantically overfunction. Uh, I, I overheard a conversation Jerry had with a, uh, a fellow pastor this past month, and it was uh, past week, and it was just, I wrote it down because it was so good. And she said, you know when you're most effective for God? And the person said, when? And then Jerry said, when you're sleeping because you're not running interference in what God wants to do. That is talking too much, over-functioning, keeping people from hearing God, not a, letting them struggle with God, not you trying to fix them. 
And uh, I just loved it, you know. And uh, as I said to a good pastor friend of mine who wanted to quit a number of years ago because a scandal had broken out in his church. It wasn't his scandal, but it was under his watch. It was a large church. Several hundred people had left, and it was, it was a real it was a bad time. And he came to me wanted to quit. And I tell you, it just came out of my mouth. I just said, listen, I said, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Stay with it. And he did. And, and you know, he's years later, he's flourishing and church is flourishing. But in that moment that you feel like, I just can't do this, just stay at your post. All right. Uh, I love what Bishop Leslie Newbigin said. He was, at, he was asked years ago, are you an optimist or a pessimist about the future? And he said, I'm neither. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And that's us. We're not optimists. Optimists being people who tend to be hopeful about the future. No, we're certain about the future. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Uh, I'm neither. I'm, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That's the great news of the gospel. So as we close here, let me invite you two things. One, let me invite you to uh, download uh, some of the resources we have on crafting and developing a rule of life, taking that rich rich tradition out of the history of the church uh, and applying it to your own life in the 21st century. Go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash rule and you'll see how to do it for yourself. And then I provide a sample of how do you maybe build one for your team that you're leading. Uh, again, it's, it's a great resource at emotionallyhealthy.org slash rule. I think you'll find it very, very helpful. But God's invitation to you is to contend for a deep rest in a world of unrest. I want to close with 30 seconds of silence. This is my life work. I trust it will become yours as well uh, because there's probably little things that we can do that are more important than to give people out of our inner being a place of rest in God, a deep rest in God that they in turn can take into their world of unrest. So let's begin. Thanks, everybody. It's great to be with you. I trust you enjoyed this podcast as much as I enjoyed actually preparing it. Have a great day.